0: This is Christ Culture and Coffee, an
1: apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical critical thinking. Hello, welcome back to Christ Culture and Coffee. I'm Robbie Lashua, and uh, this uh, this podcast is going to be a little different because Tyler is not here. He's actually on a mission trip in Japan right now. So if you'd be praying for him, that would be uh, that would be great. He's going over there to do some really cool ministry with our church. Um, But he'll be back uh, in a few weeks and we'll get back to kind of doing things the the normal way. But today I have an awesome guest with us, uh, my good friend Marty Clapp. Marty is um, just steeped in apologetics knowledge, I would say. He speaks uh, at a lot of Fellowship of Christian Athlete events. He speaks at community colleges, even in – uh, classes that are just kind of uh, secular in nature, uh, and he, he he defends the faith in those. He also has a prison ministry that he's a part of, going into prisons and, and loving on people and, and preaching the gospel and baptizing. Um, so just a really uh, awesome guest. Marty, we're really thankful that you're here today.
0: Oh, Robbie, it's great to be with you. I'm enjoying this. I'm excited
1: about it. I'm glad yeah. to have you on the podcast. Hopefully we can have you on a lot because, um, man, just through our conversations through the years, I've always loved Gleaning wisdom from you on how to defend the faith, you're really good at it, and I think I think most importantly, your arguments are sound, but your character is great, and so that's the thing that really compels people: is Marty actually cares about me? <laughs> He's a loving kind of person, and that speaks volumes to people when you're discussing truth. So I'm really thankful for you. Well, as you know, we always start our uh, our podcast off with a coffee tip. And so today, I've got an interesting coffee tip uh, to talk about. Um, in October, I'm going to go on a backpacking trip uh, through the Grand Canyon. We're going to do one day, uh, North Rim to South Rim. I think it's about 22 miles. Nice. Yeah, it'll be it'll be cool. So I'm excited about it. But I, I was starting to think through uh, coffee on that trip, and I don't think I'm going to have to take any with me because it'll probably take me I don't know seven, eight, nine, ten hours. So I, I, again, I can go without coffee <laughs> for ten hours. I'll drink a lot of other fluids. But um, I was thinking through, like, going backpacking, you know, for, like, three or four days. I don't want to carry a whole bunch of coffee paraphernalia in my backpack. Like, that's extra weight, not for a huge payoff in the end. Right. So I was thinking through, what are ways I could make coffee, you know, camping out that's not going to, you know, wear my back out, packing a a French press or a percolator or all this (laughs) stuff (laughs) into, into my backpack? Um, and I thought about this. There was this old method, and this is this is I, I guess it's kind of gross, but c- cowboys would do this. So you definitely you'd have to pack coffee, and you're gonna have water if you're going camping, right? right? So that's all you need to take. That's all you need to worry about: ground coffee and and water. And when you get to wherever your campfire's at. You boil some water, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and some I know cowboy coffee. They some guys used to just throw the grounds right in the coffee, right. boil it, and then try to. I mean, even drink the grinds, kind of. You know, oh. and you can do that. Yeah. But one thing you'll bring on a, a backpacking trip is a sock. You'll have extra socks, hmm. Hmm. and you could. Put the grounds in a sock and just throw that in the boiling water wow. and use it as a filter. Wow! Now, I would suggest using the clean sock, not one that you hike <laughs> down the canyon <laughs> using. Um, but that that would work. And so, again, if you want to take coffee on a backpacking trip, on a camping trip, don't want to hike a bunch of material in, just grab some coffee grounds. You're going to have water anyway, and you're going to take socks anyway. So really, all you're packing in is your coffee extra. And um, you don't have to take a whole pound of it even, just for a few days, grind up a little Ziploc bag, you're good to go. So that's the coffee tip for today. If you are going camping or backpacking this summer, Take a sock, <laughs> take some grounds, <laughs> and definitely use a clean sock. I know, um, yeah, that would probably taste a little better. Those cowboys than, uh, are tough. Those cowboys are tough. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. But that's the coffee tip for today. I hope one of you uses that. And if you do utilize this technique, please email me and tell me what you thought of it and, uh, and how it went for you. That's great. All right. So for today, let's segue, Marty, into talking about this evidence for God's existence um, based on DNA. And so this is a, a subset of a teleological evidence, of, of uh, evidence of design and of purpose that we find in the universe right. based on a person's uh, DNA. So so what is this argument? What is the, the evidence of God's existence based on DNA?
0: Well, Robbie, like you say, nowadays uh, the crime shows are really popular, CSI, mm-hmm. a lot of the shows that the people watch, and so whether it's oh, there's in, like.
1: There's like Aren't there like 20 CSIs track. Vegas, Boston, New York, Omaha? I don't know. I've lost
0: track. There's so many. And in all these shows and even in real life uh, courtrooms, Mm -hmm. we often hear of the evidence from DNA that's used. And so so people hear about DNA quite a bit, Mm -hmm. comes up in all these shows. Um, Today we're going to actually look at DNA as evidence again except in a little different way. We're going to look at DNA as evidence for a creator. And I think it's very persuasive, powerful evidence for a creator. Um, And even though people hear about DNA, they've heard about it, uh, what is it? I mean, some people... They've never really... Yeah, what exactly is DNA? Exactly. What is it? Well, it's, DNA is just this incredibly complex information molecule. Okay. And it's tightly coiled up inside the center of the cells in your body. Uh, if you were to look at a model of it, you may have seen a model of it. it kind of looks like a ladder, step ladder that's got mm-hmm. a little bit of a twist to it. Okay. And um, it's the molecule that carries all of the assembly or most of the assembly instructions for life. For living things, and so to understand why DNA is powerful evidence for a creator, uh, I think it would make sense to begin by talking about sort of exploring just the the storage capacity of this molecule because it's it's absolutely amazing.
1: Okay, so so DNA is uh, this molecule that has information for building uh, a living body, but specifically your DNA has instructions for building your specific body, right? Yes. Being that small, yeah, what is the capacity of information that your DNA can hold?
0: Well, to give us some idea, um, there's this guy named Dr. Werner Gitt. He lives in Germany. He's an an information scientist. Uh, Dr. Gitt is actually the former director. I don't think he is any longer, but he's a former director and professor of the German Federal Institute of Physics and Technology. Wow. And a few years ago, I heard a talk that he gave. It was just this really thought-provoking presentation, and it was titled, In the Beginning Was Information. Okay. And in this talk, he gives some insight regarding just the the storage capacity of DNA. And he puts it in terms of what they call density of information. So he points out that the DNA molecule has a very high density of information, just another way of saying it's storage capacity. Mm-hmm. And he said it's the highest storage capacity of any uh, system known to man. Whoa. And to sort of give us, uh, kind of get a handle on that, just to illustrate just how incredibly uh, compact this information system is, he, he uses as an illustration. He holds up this, like a 32 millimeter by 33 millimeter slide. Okay. And, he's, and on that slide... It has the entire Bible printed out on it.
1: Wow! Just, I mean, just on the one slide.
0: Yeah, just on that one slide. I mean, it, I mean, just think about that for a moment. So you open your Bible, you look through your Bible, and you see how much is printed there. Mm-hmm. All of that is printed on this little thirty-two millimeter by thirty-three millimeter slide. Wow! And um, so, of course, that is—I mean—that's mind-boggling. I can't even comprehend that.
1: That's a lot of compact information on one slide.
0: Yeah, a lot of information. You can't even—you can't even imagine that. No. And so by comparison, he said that the DNA molecule, by comparison, is 7.7 million million times more density of information (laughs) than that 32 millimeter slide. Yeah. Is that crazy? Seven.
1: What? Say that number again. 7.7
0: 7 million, million times more density of information. When you say
1: million twice, you're not just emphasizing it. You literally mean right. to state it twice. Yes. 7.7 7 million, million. Yes. Mm-hmm. <whistles> yeah. That's a lot of compact information. It's incredible. Within the cell. Right. It's, wow. Wow. Okay. So, um, again... Information is is all around us. We see it all the time. We understand. I mean, better than any generation, I think, with computer programming and how that information works. Uh, why why do you think that information is a um, is is a proof of God's existence? Like, how does that how does that work? So, how can you move somebody from really compact information in DNA to, therefore, God has to exist?
0: Well, I think in order to do that, first of all, I think as we, you know, if we just talked about the storage capacity, in fact, to kind of unpack for the listener what that number really represents, he, he gives another amazing illustration, and he said that if you took just a, a pinhead mm-hmm. of genetic material, you know, just enough genetic material on the head of a pin, and if you could somehow extract the information out of that, mm-hmm. and if you could type that all up. In, in books, standard texts, standard size books, and uh-huh. stack those books up. He said, just in a pinhead of genetic material, there would be so much information that if you printed it up into books, that stack of books would be uh, 500 times the distance from the Earth to the
1: moon. Oh my goodness. I mean, you can't, I mean. 500 times the distance yeah. from the Earth to the moon on a pinhead of genetic information. Right. And I know he's
0: not—he's not making this up because it's actually online. He shows okay. uh, how they did the math, so it's absolutely crazy.
1: That is a ton of information.
0: Yeah, it is. And if you think about it, you know, if we think about technology and how that—it seems like the more advanced we become, um, the more miniaturized our technology becomes. You notice how computers true. Yeah. used to
1: be—even laptops used to be really thick, and right. now they're really thin. Yeah, sure, right. we're getting better at making uh, it smaller. Right. And
0: the reason we're emphasizing that, it just kind of gives people some concept of the incredible, I mean, unimaginable ingenuity of our creator. Because even from a human perspective, we look at technology and we go, man, you know, computers used to take up a room. You know, you go into a room and you got these big cabinets yeah, and super stuff computer, yeah right the supercomputers and now they're just so we kind of see a pattern even in our understanding of technology that that the greater the technology the more intelligent as it were we become in these areas the more miniaturized that's and a really
1: great point yeah. yeah so it
0: really gives us
1: some sense of that and dna is the ultimate miniaturized
0: it is yeah <laughs> it really is
1: it, it absolutely wow. is those are great analogies of, of the or, or great um, illustrations of the example of of the numbers there. That's amazing. It is. And I
0: think, so now to get back to the question that you asked, how does this evidence for God, not only this kind of ingenuity that we can't Mm -hmm. even comprehend. And that is as amazing as that storage capacity is. Actually, the most amazing thing of all about DNA isn't the molecule itself. It's not just the physical molecule and its ability to store information, the thing that's really important about it is the information hmm. that it carries. Okay. And the reason that's so important is because this in, the information in DNA just gives very powerful evidence for God because information in and of itself, has a couple really important characteristics that we want to unpack for our listener. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because information, as we're going to see it, has two characteristics. Number one is that information itself is not physical. It's not of a material nature. And second of all, uh, information always requires an intelligent source behind it. It always Mm -hmm. comes from an intelligent agent.
1: That makes sense. Yeah, whenever you see a... uh, a, a, you know, wood, uh, a tree carved with you know R loves L. You don't right. think, well, that's crazy that the tree grew in that way. We know somebody with intelligence must have carved that exactly. st- the, into the tree or something. Okay, exactly. So information is always requires an intelligent source, and it's not. You're saying it's not physical. I think that's going to be the one that people have a harder time with. That it's not yeah. a physical entity, but it's an, an immaterial thing. So how, how? Yeah. How do those? How do those work? Well, like you say, that first
0: point is really important because when people challenge us, the atheist, the skeptic, uh, those that hold what we would call just a, a naturalistic view of the world, they say that everything can be explained in terms ultimately of the physical and the material. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important for the listeners to understand that information isn't. It's not physical or material. Um, and we're so used to things being of a material nature. This is, this is very difficult you know, it's hard for us to relate to that, but but that's the nature of it. And so it's really important to understand that there are some things that simply cannot be explained in terms of the physical material world. And the other thing I would point out is that information is something that exists separately
1: and independently from matter. Separately and independently from matter. Okay. Right.
0: So in other words, Um, Mm -hmm. Even though information requires a physical medium to store it or to carry it, uh, information in and of itself is this non-physical, immaterial reality. And to to illustrate for our listeners, I know that Dr. Gitt used a uh, microchip, um, but this was several years ago. Technology has changed, and so you know our friend James Umber, yeah, he sort of took that and I just sort of tweak that a little bit. And he uses a flash drive, and so we just illustrate it using a flash drive and say, suppose that I have a flash drive with lots of information stored in it. Mm-hmm. And suppose that we have a device over here that's super sensitive, like a set of scales, it's ultra sensitive. And let's say that we weigh that flash drive with all this information. It's got lots of lectures and notes and stuff, and sure. we weigh it. Uh-huh. And then su- suppose that we delete that information, yeah, and then we put it back on the scale and weigh it again. It's going to weigh the same.
1: Interesting. So,
0: yeah, there's no weight to information on the flash drive. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's going to weigh exactly the same hmm. with or without the information in it. And I think that what this tells us is that information itself has no mass and no weight. Um, it is not a physical object. It's immaterial.
1: The, the crazy thing is how we can get an immaterial thing to be stored on a material thing. That's fascinating to me, yeah, and there's a lot of different is. methods of doing that. But that uh, is what we're doing, whether it's a CD or whether it's a flash drive, um, whatever an MP3 player. That you're exactly right. There, there isn't weight. Your your iPad or your your iPad doesn't get heavier the more movies you load right. into it. It's right? a good thing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a it good a thing. Good, Could, yeah. you imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah, you're going to carry. Oh, I really wanted the new Avengers movie, but I just can't just keep carrying this thing around. Too much. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting point. Okay, it is,
0: and that's that's a really critical point. And I think the second point is is equally important in establishing evidence for God because the information, by its nature, it always requires an intelligent source behind it. Mm. And it doesn't matter whether the information is in the form of computer software, whether it's a text message or dots and dashes in a Morse code, or hieroglyphic symbols, or like the example you gave earlier with a tree, um, information always comes from an intelligent
1: sender. That makes a ton of sense. And I think just culturally, Mm -hmm. people, uh, we intuitively know that, but because of computer programming, we really understand that. Right. Like we know, oh, you know, these new Disney movies that are being made, we know how they're made. They're computer animated and they've got these guys. They've got a team that just does the shading, the lighting, you know, that they're all intelligently designing this one movie. They're all programming this new video game. They're all programming, you know, these new computer programs, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, That seems like culturally that seems like a really easy way to strike up a conversation with somebody because we all know that.
0: Yep. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Everybody can relate to that. Mm-hmm. It's something that they can just really understand. I think another example that really makes a lot of sense to kind of give us a, a grasp of how it, <clears throat> an intelligence is required. So let's say, for example, if you were to accidentally spill a bottle of ink onto a sheet of paper, mm. uh, obviously that by itself is never going to produce a newspaper or a book. <laughs> no. you know, it's not going to happen, That's right? absurd. Yeah, that wouldn't happen and because information has not been added. So if you think about this, so information is not, it's not like a natural part of the ink. It's not something that's actually part of the paper. Uh, Now, of course, you you can use laws of physics and chemistry to explain why the ink bonds or sticks to the paper. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, I mean, that makes sense, but that is a very, very different question from asking how the ink in a book or a newspaper got arranged in such, a, in such a precise manner. Yeah, that's a different thing altogether. Right. So in order to get an intelligible <clears throat> message, information must be introduced into that system by an intelligent source outside of it, who can reach in and, and to arrange those ink molecules on that sheet of paper in a really specific order so that, that it now communicates information. Yeah,
1: it makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah. And
0: so to kind of tie that analogy to the actual DNA molecule, so in a similar way, the chemical letters of the genetic code, and it's represented by four letters, A, T, C, and G. So in a similar way, these chemical letters of the genetic code had to be arranged in a very, very specific way to convey all of this information.
1: So we see the same type of information, like as a a written letter, I mean, on on a minuscule level. With the ordering of those of those uh, DNA letters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We see the same type of sequence. It's it's a, it's it's the specific sequ- sequential order of those things in a pattern, right? Right. That show us this is information. This isn't just uh, by chance. This isn't a natural thing like like a sand uh, b- being moved by waves. It had right. to be arranged in a specific order, such that it is. Exactly. Okay. That's so a great when we look point. at DNA. That's what we're seeing.
0: Well, and of course, um, just like with anything else, and and I think, and I think most anybody listening to this, if they're really open and honest, they're going to say that's very powerful. I mean, here you have this non-physical reality that always comes from a mind. I mean, it should just be so clear and so obvious. Mm-hmm. But as you and I have experienced when we're dealing with a world right now of people that are very skeptical, they will always come up or at least try to come up with a rescuing device.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, they yeah. always try to find a way around it. A way around it, yeah. Because it implies God and I don't, I don't want a God. Yeah. So there must be another explanation.
0: They're, you know, in their <laughs> mind, they just have <laughs> to find this rescuing device. And so I want to look at what are some of the rescuing devices that I Others have come up with it. I've run into to kind of give our listeners a heads up so that mm-hmm. if they run into this, when well, they when try to When use you say
1: this, rescuing device, what exactly do you mean?
0: What I mean is the, the unbeliever, the skeptic, is always trying to find an exit strategy. Okay. You know, they don't want to deal. Like you said, they don't want to deal with this because it implies... Very strongly, Mm -hmm. an intelligent cause that.
1: So, would a rescuing device be an excuse?
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, sort of an escape hatch. Escape. (laughs) From the, okay, that makes sense. I think the first one that comes to mind, and I, I saw this in the video, "The Atheist Delusion." Have you have you seen that? I don't know the if the Atheist listeners. It's called Delusion. the Atheist Delusion. It's by uh, Ray Comfort, the Street Evangelist. Oh, Living I know Ray Waters. Comfort. Yeah,
1: I haven't seen that video.
0: It's a great video, okay? And it's a great, great video. It's just interesting because he kind of deals with this topic a little bit, and it's interesting to see how people on the street, um, how do they deal with this? And so he's. Uh, he does this interview on the show. He does an interview with Lawrence Krauss. And Lawrence Krauss, you may have heard of him. Yes. He's a local, right? He's a, he's an atheist professor at ASU. Yep. And during the interview, Ray asks Krauss how he, as an atheist, how does he explain DNA on a purely naturalistic basis without a creator?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Krauss says a couple of things, and, and we're going to see that they really don't work, but it's You know, at first it it sounds kind of convincing. The first thing he says is, he tries to um, he tries to say that we see other examples of design in nature that really turn out to be nothing more than just. The result of natural processes, and we'll talk about that in a minute. He goes, "Well, there's no different than a snowflake," but we're gonna okay. we're gonna talk about that. And secondly, he admits that DNA is an amazing structure. He actually says that, but then he he goes on to say, "Well, you know, the laws of physics and chemistry will, in principle, explain how DNA first arose." Hmm. And as we're gonna see on both counts, he was
1: he was wrong about that. You're saying that. The professor at ASU, the distinguished Lawrence Krauss, is wrong. Yes, you heard it here first, <laughs> folks. <laughs> That's all right, but we've got evidence to back this up. We're not just we, attacking, yeah.
0: Exactly.
1: Okay. All right. So, how does that work? What, what What are the reasons he's wrong on this?
0: Well, so like that first, um, the first example or the first counter argument he gives, oftentimes whenever the topic of DNA is being used as evidence for God's existence. Um, someone who is attempting to disprove God will often use the illustration of a snowflake. And they'll say, hey, I mean, look, here's this thing is incredibly complex. It's beautiful. It's symmetrical. Yeah. You know, and so they try to use this as a counter argument against God because, I mean,
1: you know, it that is. It makes sense. Yeah. And it's unique. Like your DNA it is, is unique. So, <clears throat> it, it, yeah, there's some correlation there.
0: Yeah. So on the face of it, it's pretty convincing, mm-hmm. you know. And and of course they would, and the point that they're trying to make is they would say, hey, I mean a snowflake is just, I mean it's it's not hard to explain, it's just this tiny dust particle and it comes into contact with water vapor under very cold conditions, it begins to grow as it descends down toward the earth, and so in short, what they're trying to say is, hey, I mean all this is, it just, it's not hard to explain. It's just a tiny water droplet. All it's doing, it's just obeying the laws of nature, resulting in this beautiful symmetrical pattern. And okay. so his point is it only looks designed, but no designer is necessary. Hmm. And so then they try to use that illustration to explain DNA in the same way. And, and so the bottom line is they would insist that if the complexity of a snowflake doesn't require a designer, then hey, you know, neither does the complexity of the
1: DNA molecule. That's kind of his argument. I see. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I get what he's trying to say. Yeah. But, yeah, so but why doesn't that work? Well, because
0: it's, it's a very misleading, it's very deeply flawed, because what he's done is he has confused two very different kinds of complexity. Um, even though a snowflake does show, to some degree, a degree of complexity, what, what you're going to see is it's just a repeated pattern. DNA is something very, very different. And DNA is actually a much higher level of complexity that we would refer to
1: as specified complexity. Well, because I guess you could even say the same thing about um, a book. Like, would he accept my argument of, well, I mean, you know, you think Stephen King wrote all those novels. He didn't. They just happened by accident with ink (laughs) spelling on a page. Right. Like a snowflake. Like, you see, that just is complex and it's a natural process, and so is the Library of Congress. Everything in there, yeah. it's just a natural. Exactly. He wouldn't accept that. No. He'd say, no, that's not the same thing. And so that's what right. we're trying to point out is DNA is not the same thing as a snowflake com- on levels of complexity. Right, and that's and, and in fact, to sort of help the
0: listener sort out the difference between the two, let's compare the kind of complexity in a snowflake to what we're talking about with DNA. Oh, so great. let's say, Let's say if we look at something like salt crystals or quartz crystal, and they're beautiful, right? I mean, they're beautiful, they're symmetrical, snowflakes are Mm -hmm. beautiful. If we were to use the letters of the alphabet, to represent that kind of complexity. If we wrote it out on the board, Rob, it would look like this ABC, 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 and
1: you just keep going on. It's just a repeated pattern. I That's see. That's all it is. That's all that, okay, so Snowflake's just a continued repeated pattern. There's no yes. variation in the right. movement of the lettering or anything. It's just ABC, ABC, just ABC. Just a repeated all the way down. pattern. Okay. Same thing for anything like <laughs> that.
0: There's just a natural um, something like that that shows that sort of symmetry. In contrast to that, if we were to represent the kind of specified complexity that we see in DNA, and if we were to type it out using alphabet letters, it would look more like the assembly instructions for a space shuttle. Oh, but it would be gosh. far, far, far more sophisticated.
1: <laughs> that's OK, so that's a little different than three letters repeating themselves. Right. <laughs> the assembly yeah. instructions Quite a bit for different. a space shuttle, yeah. yeah. Quite a bit different. Different level of complexity and vocabulary.
0: Big difference. So again, he's just confusing two different kinds of complexity. Mm -hmm. The other argument that he tries to get away with is he says that DNA, and he does, he calls it an amazing structure, which he says can probably be explained by laws of attraction and so forth. But notice that when he says an amazing structure, he is focusing on the physical characteristics of the molecule itself. And what he's trying to avoid is explaining that non-physical information that's being carried by the molecule. So, again, it's the difference between that flash drive and the information that was put into the flash drive.
1: I see. So these are two different categories of things. Very different, you, yeah. You, yeah. okay. No,
0: they're very different. And so even if somebody could explain the DNA molecule as a result of physics and chemistry, it doesn't even come close to explaining
1: the genetic information that is stored in the DNA molecule. That makes sense. They, they can explain the microchip. But that doesn't explain where the information embedded in the microchip comes exactly. from. That's what we're saying. Yes. They can explain the molecule of DNA, but they can't right. explain the information embedded in it.
0: Exactly. I see. And so, you know, somebody like Krauss and others, they will try to convince you that the information is somehow just a result of natural forces of attraction. And it's kind of what Krauss tries to get away with. Mm-hmm. But I think here's another great illustration to help our listener to show why that doesn't make any sense, why it cannot simply be just through natural laws of attraction. Now, you've got little kids mm-hmm. in your home. Have you ever You've either used one or you've seen them, the little magnetic board for children with magnetic letters. Oh, those are great. Yeah, Yeah. they've got the little board with the magnetic letters. Mm -hmm. Those are a lot of fun. Now imagine, so if we walked into this room and imagine a big metal board up there on the wall and imagine there's all of these little magnetic letters stuck to it. And Mm -hmm. suppose that you walk in and there's this coherent message Spelled out by these magnetic letters, and it says, "Dear Pastor Robbie, we appreciate you. We love your uh, podcast, yeah. and thanks for all you do." And you got this message. Your your mm-hmm. intuition is that those letters did not arrange
1: themselves in that order. Oh yeah, that doesn't even cross my mind. Right. I, I automatically <clears throat> think, I wonder who wrote this, or look at the bottom and see who you know signed it or wrote their name. and and is attributing it to themselves but yeah you don't you don't think oh my gosh how crazy is it that those letters just through gravity moved into that order right exactly i don't think anybody would ever think that i don't think
0: if they're really honest nobody would think that and so i guess where this analogy ties to dna is that even though those magnetic letters yes there is a natural attraction of each letter to the board but there's no natural attraction letter to letter they're not They're not attracted to each
1: other. No, they're not drawing each other into one another to to form. And even if they were, there'd be some outside thing, some outside mechanism or intelligence that was arranging them in such an order. But they themselves aren't arranging themselves like that.
0: Right. They can't. In fact, it gets worse for them because, see, even if, let's say if, those letters had a natural attraction to each other, mm-hmm. instead of spelling out a coherent message which gives information, it would say, like, let's say if the letter A was somehow naturally attracted to the letter G, that would be a problem because it would just say, aga, 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 aga. Yeah, you know? it'd,
1: yeah it'd be repeatable. Yeah, yeah it would it
0: just be a repeat, you yeah. know. So I think this is just another way of Of just showing that again, you cannot explain that information just by supposed, like as he says, just attraction, forces of attraction, it's not going to happen. That's
1: almost like a magic wand. Yeah. Forces of attraction. Magic. It's like, what are you yeah. saying? Like that doesn't that we don't see that anywhere. No. Set up, set up information like that. Like nobody could sell me a laptop, and I say, well, you know, what programs on there? And they say, well, we just left it up to the forces of attraction in nature to set it up. Right. But we're still going to charge you, you know, two thousand <laughs> dollars. Like, yeah. no, I, I really want it set up right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. I think a third argument that will come up, that has come up at least in my experience, is that. The other attempt by the unbeliever to try to get around this whole argument is they try to challenge you on your definition of information. And okay. I've run into this in a couple different venues, one at a high school where I was speaking and one at a at a setting of secular humanists oh. that I was visiting. And in both cases, what they, what they said was this. And again, this is their attempt at a rescuing device. They said that, hey, nobody knows what information really is and no one has clearly defined it. And so... And so he, they go on to try to define information that they say, well, that could be referring to anything. One guy said, I mean, you could have just a box of rocks and get information of some kind from that. And mm. one guy, the humanist, said to me, well, that, what do you mean by information? That's an abstract. Nobody knows. It's abstract. I like he said, I could get out my telescope and look at the moon and get information. But that doesn't get us to what, what I was talking about. Okay. So this is what they tried to say. But once again, what's going on here, they're doing a lot of hand-waving. It's just they're Mm -hmm. trying to confuse the
1: definition of information. So is there more, uh, uh, is there a set definition of information that's not just like we intuitively can recognize it, right. but is there is there more of a formal set of rules, a formal set of what information is that's not, that's not just intuitive to us?
0: Yes. Yeah, okay. absolutely. In fact, and again, Dr. Gitt that I mentioned earlier, he gives us a lot of insight into this because as it turns out, there is a very clear, precise, specific definition. Of information and this is what they use in his field which is information science
1: and now with this definition of information you're not you're not saying um something that as as human beings we've created but this would be more of we recognize these yes. things are in what we call information yeah good point good okay. point robbie that's okay. exactly yeah this is what
0: we recognize And he's brought this out in a couple of books. He wrote a book back in 94 called In the Beginning Was Information. Okay. And then he wrote kind of a, a sequel, if you will, in 2011 called Without Excuse. And as an information scientist, he lays out, he explains that there are five levels of what they've identified as universal information. Five levels, okay. And so the lowest level they call statistics, or in other words, signal. And then the next level, you have syntax or code, then semantics or meaning, then pragmatics or action, and then apobetics or result. And so we won't go into a lot of detail because it, it's difficult to mm-hmm. understand, but they're just saying that they're not just, this is legitimate.
1: Yeah. It's not just what you feel information is. and right. you're, you're getting information from that cloud formation up there, right. information to these five specific things, starting right. with the lowest form of information, that's the idea? Yes, the for lowest
0: al- level is statistics. Or so signal. for all of you statisticians out
1: there, sorry, <laughs> you're at the lowest level. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that's the lowest level, Stat- statistics, and then syntax or code. Right. Semantics, which is meaning. Mm-hmm. Pragmatics, which is action. What, what does that mean? Like, exactly, like, how does that work? Like, pragmatics is action. Because I understand signal, code, meaning. Right. What is action?
0: You know, that, that would, take, it would take a while to explain. It is kind of hard to understand. I okay. think if somebody, to really, really delve into that topic, it's it's difficult. Okay. And this is why the guys in the information science, they are just, it, it is. It's kind of hard to explain, and it might, uh, oh, man, I think it'd give all of us mental constipation <laughs> if we tried to. Get the book. That's what you're get saying. Get the book. All right. And, um,
1: and, again, what was the name of the book that has this The in book it? is In the Beginning Was Information. And that's by Doctor Git G I T T. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Get. If you're interested in this, that would be the book to get to understand what information is and what we recognize get. it. The book to get by Doctor <laughs> Git. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that is great.
0: You know, as we close out uh, this podcast, I I was along this topic. I was thinking about this quote by Bill Gates
1: because
0: mm. there's this great quote by Bill Gates, and he's an agnostic. Yeah. And he, as an agnostic, I mean, listen, this is the guy from, you know, Microsoft. Microsoft, yeah. And what he said back in his book uh, several years ago, The Road Ahead, he says, quote, DNA is like a computer program but far, far more advanced than any software ever created, close wow. quote. Wow.
1: That's what Bill Gates recognizes DNA yeah. to be. Right. That's powerful.
0: It is. And yet the man's an agnostic. And you know what it reminds me, uh, Romans chapter 1 sa- talks about how that, that oftentimes as we're running away from God, rebelling against God, that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. We suppress the truth. So uh, even if you think about that concept, if you're going to suppress something, you're aware of it. You, mm-hmm. know, you know that it's there. So I think that, I mean, you know, even Bill Gates knows. Yeah. I mean, he knows. I mean, think about it. He even knows that at Microsoft, when they wrote programs, they didn't just uh, go into this big room and just pour out uh, boxes and boxes of Scrabble tile onto the floor, <laughs> just dump it out there and say, hey, just let it fall arbitrarily, and then just write down. That's no. not what they did. It wouldn't work if you did it like that. It wouldn't. No. It takes intelligence. It takes coding. It takes yes. sequence. Yeah. Yeah, And so he knows better than anybody. They had to hire some of the smartest men and women that they could find to write these, mm-hmm. and yet, and right there in front of him, right there under his nose, he sees this. He says himself, he sees this in the genetic
1: code, and yet he remains agnostic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's not because of lack of evidence; it's because people don't want God. Yes. On a certain level, like they just don't. They 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 want to be their own God, right? They right. turn to worship, like Romans once says, the created things. Um, it talks about, you know, the birds and, and reptiles. and But it also, I mean, we really are worshiping ourselves. Yes. Is what it comes down to is I want to be in charge of me. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want to be responsible to a God who's out there. I'm going to do me and that's it. And nobody can boss me around, right? right. Nobody can tell me how to live right. my life. Um, even if it destroys us, we have this c- cosmic rebellion mm-hmm. embedded into us that, yeah, it keeps a lot of people from turning to the Lord. It does. But it's not because of lack of evidence. And DNA is one of those evidences that um, I think that we can use when we're talking with our friends who are are skeptical and point them to, hey, how do you explain this happening? It's so complex. It's so compact how everything we see around us uh, in the world that's like that. Comes from intelligence, whether it's Bill Gates, right, or right. whether it's Steve Jobs at Apple or whoever. Mm-hmm. It always comes from intelligence. So why would DNA be excluded from coming from intelligence? It makes no sense. It's no. the most complex information, the most compact information as well that we have. Why do we just punt to natural causes right. on the most complex? It makes no sense. No,
0: no, no.
1: It's more. It's more. Uh, it's more plausible to believe that there's a God who is really intelligent (laughs) and he sequenced our DNA to be what it is and he continues not even just to sequence it but to sustain it, Mm -hmm. to do what it does. Right. Yeah, I'm with you, Marty. (laughs) I think (laughs) that there's a God. (laughs) Well, I hope you as our listeners uh, gain some insight. Marty just has so much good information and such powerful ways of explaining um, the complex and, and breaking it down so that we can understand it and we can use it as we go out and we reach our, our non-safe friends for the Lord. So thanks for being with us today on uh, Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Marty, thanks for being here. That's great. This has been be really in. fun. I uh, love enjoyed it. gleaning yeah. knowledge from you. This is great. So, Well, thanks for being with us today. We will see you guys next time. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a
0: podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information,
1: visit our website at dscchurch.com.